0: I am here today with Erica Boardman, who is an advisor with me in the School of Life Sciences. Uh, She's been with us for about a year. Before that, you were a high school math teacher. Erica has recently put together a great resource called Souls on Demand. I think it's particularly useful for transfer students, which is what I wanted to talk with Erica about today. Transfer students, through no fault of their own, need a lot of help because they're starting late. They're basically starting two years behind everyone else. They don't, you know, there's some orientation materials, but there's not like an ASU 101 class that the incoming freshman would have. So what I really wanted to talk with Erica about today was acclimating to ASU and sort of the things that a matriculating transfer student should know right off the bat in their first semester, maybe even before their first semester gets started, about being at ASU. And so Erica, thank you for joining the program.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me, Evan.
0: So... I think the first thing that transfer students should know from us is how to use their assigned advisor. So in the School of Life Sciences, we have, I don't know, five, six, seven advisors, and we each have about 400 students. And we are, the student comes assigned to us, like you will be Evan's student, or you will be Erica's student. And unless you change your major or maybe your concentration, you're going to be with that person until you graduate. What can students use you for, Erica? Like, what should, be, what should they be coming to you for?
1: So I would say the biggest thing is academic planning, but also if they need advice on numerous things, whether it's academic concerns or career concerns, um, resources that they might need. Granted, if they need help with scholarships or those kinds of things, um, being able to direct them to those resources that they need But I would say the biggest thing is just anything in their academic career that they might need me for, um, such as planning, maybe a tentative schedule, overrides if needed, maybe a credit overload. So numerous different things that have to do with their academic career.
0: Yeah, so there are definitely certain areas like financial aid or scholarship stuff would be one basket. Some of the pre-health stuff would be another basket, you know, if they're asking us questions about the MCAT. I, I hate to break it to but we haven't taken the MCAT. We for don't sure. really know anything about this. This is what free health advising is for. But you can still come to your academic advisor almost the way that you would use like a primary care physician. And they'll sort of point you to the specialist yep. in the right way. We can do things like credit overload. So if you want to take more than 18 credits, you won't be able to do it in your first semester as a transfer student. But after that, depending on your GPA, that's something you can come talk to your advisor about. Now, when you're helping students, are there any classes that you're really having them prioritize right at the beginning when they come in?
1: Yes, that is a big yes. So, as advisors, we can all attest to this. The biggest thing as a transfer student that you really have to focus on are those upper division credit hours. You need 45 total, and most transfer students, unless you're coming from a university, do not have any upper division. Uh, So it can make things a little bit complicated because, let's say, some of your general studies or some of your lower division-related area are not satisfied. So on top of needing to satisfy those requirements, you also have 45 of upper division. So that leads you to taking upper division electives on top of, let's say, genetics and biochem. So it is very important to begin those upper division credits as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, so when you run a new DARS for yourself, you'll see right at the very top that you need 120 hours of total as a minimum to graduate from ASU. That includes your community college credits if you're transferring from a community college. But as Erica alluded to, by definition, community colleges cannot offer upper division classes. Every single class you take at like Maricopa Community College is going to come into ASU as a 100 or 200 level class, which is to say lower division right under that 120 hours, you'll see a, I don't know, a bar, an area where it says you need 45 upper division hours. Those are 300 and 400 level classes. Most of them will be three credits. So 45 divided by three is 15. So you'll have to take about 15 of those upper division classes. Many of them will be in your major. You mentioned bio 340, which is yep. next 340, it's a 300 level class. So that's great. But you'll only have maybe 25 of those hours in your major, 25, 28, somewhere like that. That will be upper division, which means you're gonna have about 17 hours outside of your major where you're just gonna be taking, you know, psychology 340 or music 354 or what you know, whatever. And most students with their associate's degree come in well on pace for that 120 overall hours, but what they're severely deficient in compared to maybe not severely deficient, but deficient in relative to the freshmen and sophomores is that they, they basically have no upper division hours. Whereas a a sophomore at that point, you know, a rising junior will maybe have nine to 15 upper division hours, something like that. So that, and that becomes the rate limiting factor. Like if you want to graduate in four, let's pretend you spent two years in Maricopa, Mm -hmm. you want to graduate from ASU by four years total. That's the first thing where you immediately have to be on that, getting those upper division hours, because you're going to need 45 of those hours, which is essentially three full semesters, in addition to whatever lower division credits you still have remaining. So if you're applying to medical school, for instance, and you need to take Mm. two semesters of physics and two semesters of organic chemistry. And two
1: semesters of human anatomy and physiology. Exactly. And
0: you haven't already done that at community college. Those are all lower division. So those are all slowing you down. Which is why you, you know, if you have any outstanding, like, left to do literacy credits or humanities credits or whatever, anything where you have optionality between taking a lower division class and an upper division class, you want to jump at taking the upper division classes.
1: Absolutely. Could not agree more.
0: It's going to, it's just going to expedite your, your career here. Like, you're going to get out sooner and spend less money, therefore.
1: Which we all love.
0: Which we all love. Don't graduate with debt, or if you have to graduate with as little, little debt as possible. Yes. Okay, so those were the first two big things that I want all transfers to know about. The third thing that I think is just so important for transfer students to know right off the bat, and the third thing that, honestly, they're a little bit behind the eight ball on, is building relationships with professors. Erica, why is it important to build relationships with professors early, like right away?
1: So... This is a huge one for transfer students, um, and it is incredibly important to build those relationships with your professors for numerous reasons. Um, Let's say later on the road, you're applying for grad school or um, you're applying for a lab position. Letters of recommendation should come from your professors most of the time, and so building those relationships with them is so crucial. Also, some degrees require research, and so if your degree does require research, you're going to want to build those relationships. And how you can do that is attend office hours, maybe through emails, in-person classes versus iCourses, just getting to know your professors and connecting with them on a different level, maybe introducing yourself and your interests, and that's how you make connections. Maybe they have another professor in mind that they're like, hey, a lab position just opened in their lab, actually, I think you'd be a great fit. So those uh, relationships are really so important.
0: I, I think that's a great point you just made that like students, I think at least in the back of their head, they know office hours exist. And they know that if they're being diligent, they probably should go to their professor's office hours, which are usually listed right on the syllabus. And you can go ask the professor questions. I think that sort of the low-key mistake that students make is they think that they can only go if they're struggling with the material and if they have to ask questions because they're falling behind and totally that I mean you can use it for that Absolutely. but if you really want to get to know the professor in the way that we're talking about what you should be doing is going with your curiosity mm-hmm. going with questions being like man I thought your lecture the other day was so interesting I want to know all that I can about mitosis like you know how did you become interested in it where are there are there labs on campus doing research regarding this what is your research on You know, really getting to know your professor, not because you're scared you might fail, but because you're so interested in what they're doing. Those are the students that the professors are really going to gravitate towards. And if, you know, they have an opening in their lab or something like that, if you appear sharp to them and interested, like, you're really putting yourself in a good position. You know, I'll even take a step back further because I don't think a lot of students realize this. Like, every sort of tenure-track professor at ASU pretty much has their own lab where they're conducting the research that they're using to write papers about and that's fundamentally almost how they're being graded for promotion even more than they're teaching is what research are they producing and you if you were able to get into a lab which is competitive but students do do it even as undergrads you're, you're serving as assistants to their research and the reason it's so important to get involved in that early is that the research like operating those pipettes or whatever whatever stuff you're doing it's it, they have to train you to do that yeah. so your first semester in a professor's lab you're kind of useless to them they're actually doing you a favor by teaching you how to how to do all these techniques and so if you only approach them like second semester senior year they're not going to want to hire you because you're only going to be there one semester and you're not a value add to them they're doing you a solid yeah. but if you can apply for those lab positions with four semesters left so that they can you know help you the first semester, but then you're helping them the next three, mm-hmm. you become much more of a value add to them. And so that's why you want to be doing this really, really soon is getting to know your professors in order to get research. As, as you mentioned, Erica, research is so important in terms of potentially getting into medical school. And certainly if you're mm-hmm. applying to medical school, having research experience, maybe even having co-written a paper with the the PI, who's the supervising Absolutely. professor, can really be crucial. Um For a lot of our students who aren't interested in the pre-med or pre-dental routes, still research is something you can put on your resume that you worked in a lab. And we do have a lot of students who aren't in those pre-health fields Mm -hmm. who do want to work in labs after they graduate. And there again, like what could you possibly do that would be more important at ASU than serve in a lab, which is going to be kind of a prerequisite for that you being hired for a similar position after you graduate? And the only other thing I would say about why you want to build relationships with your professors is that students will often come to me for like, where where should I go for career advice? And we can point them to the career office, but we don't, they don't really train us on that. We don't totally know. We, We know what we hear from our former students and what they're doing, but you know, communications fall off. We don't really track them, but your professors, those are people who have done the exact same major that you did. A lot of them have worked in the field before becoming professors these actually are people who you know and they've done you know undergrad masters yeah. PhD. phd these are actually people who really know what's going on in your field and like what will be desirable to employees what skills you should develop but also just what jobs exist out there what can you do with a biology major this is actually something that you would be better served to talk with with a professor you know and trust and who likes you than us. We're doing what we can, but but we don't know in the same way that your professors do. So that's really like a key ally that you want to cultivate right from the get-go. And not to monologue, but the only other thing I would say about getting to know your professors is your classes are going to be huge, like Bio 340, huge class. Organic chemistry, huge class. We're talking hundreds of people. And I remember having a student once who was like, when do my classes start getting smaller? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 you don't. This is, It's a really good deal to go to school in-state for $7,000 yep. or whatever it is per semester. That is so much better than going to a school out-of-state or going to a private school, which can be so much more Very expensive than that. Expensive. But... Here's how they do the savings: is that you're, you're taking big classes, you're taking huge lecture halls with hundreds of other people, and that really doesn't taper off that much as you advance in the field, unless you make it a priority to find small classes yeah. where you can get to know your professors. So, a class, or like a series of classes that I'll always recommend to transfer students, but anyone, is those Bio four hundred and ninety four classes. Yeah, I was so about to say that. there are many. Why don't you talk about it? there are like many of the uh, explain what the Bio four hundred and ninety fours are if you
1: can. So those are a huge hit um, for my advisees, but specifically in the molecular biosciences and biotechnology, um, because those those are topic courses. Um, some of them are research-based, um, what we call cure courses. And so they're very specialized to that specific professor. So there's like microbe interactions or there's like a biotechnology topic course so they are very specified but they're smaller and typically they are not typically some some of the times they are in that professor's lab and so they're specialized to the research that that professor is doing so
0: yeah and they're they're all like I sh- maybe I shouldn't say all, but they're all, like, 5 to 20 people in these classes. Yeah. They're they're really, like, the few classes that will actually feel like a seminar. So most of your classes, even if it's, like, 40, 50 people, like a bioethics class maybe, you'll be sitting in a, in a lecture hall, essentially. Yeah. These classes, you're probably going to be sitting around a table. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to be the professor lecturing at you. It's going to be the professor sitting at the head of the table, the students sitting around the table, and you guys having a dialogue, having a okay. discussion. It is... A fantastic way to get to know your professors, because the other problem is that in a big lecture hall setting, you could get an A plus in that class. But unless you're going to office hours and, and regularly, you, you really can't ask that professor for a letter of recommendation yeah. because they they don't know you. They just they 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 can they can say, hey, this person got an A plus in my class and he came to an office hour or two and seemed like a great guy. Yeah. But it's really going to be in those seminar style classes where you're able to participate multiple times per class and really show off those brains to your professor, that inquisitiveness. Mm-hmm. Those are the classes that are going to elicit the letters of recommendation that get you into medical school or a PhD program or whatever your next step might be. Anyways, that's my pitch for finding small classes. I wanted to move on to the fourth thing that all transfer students should like know right away and be familiar with, which is the academic calendar. So you could just Google like ASU academic calendar. This is yep. not an obscure thing to find. But you are responsible for all of the dates and deadlines posted here. And some of them have real repercussions and we can't if you, if you mess it up because you miss a deadline, we, for 99% of the time, are not going to be able to help you. And like you not knowing the date, that is, that is not an excuse. Um, or at least it won't be treated by our boss as such, which yes. is the important thing. Yes. <laughs> um, so I wanted to go through what I think are, for the purposes of this conversation, the three most important dates on the academic calendar. And we're going to sort of like tease them out. So the first one is what's called the last day to drop a class. And this usually for session C classes, which are the classes that run the duration of the semester versus session A and session B, which run session A is the first half of the semester only and session B are the second half of the semester. But for session C, the ones that go the whole semester, the, the last day to drop a class, I think, starting the semester is like two weeks after the start date, one to two weeks. So
1: I believe for fall 23, they start on August 17th and then the drop deadline is August 30th. So about two weeks. Yeah, look at that
0: memory. Wow. Yeah. So you've got two weeks to drop the class. Now, what, is, what does that mean? And maybe to, to tease out what it means, like how would you contrast that with the course withdrawal deadline, which is maybe two weeks to a month after that?
1: So I'll first say that this will be fall 23 will be the first semester that the drop deadline is not with the ad deadline. So ASU has extended that drop deadline. Um, But again, it's it's very important to go to that academic calendar to see when that drop deadline is. Um, But the difference between the drop, so that is basically the date where you can drop a course from your schedule and not have repercussions. Whereas a course withdrawal, that is where you will get a W, So a lot of students confuse drop versus withdraw. Withdrawing from a course is later on in the semester after the drop deadline where you receive a W. It does stay on your transcript. It doesn't affect your GPA, but you do receive a W.
0: So yeah, tell us more about that. What is the downside of having a W on your transcript?
1: Now, it's not a huge deal if you have one, two, but if it's becoming a habit that's when maybe a grad school or a job is, it might be a little red flag to them. But I mean, like I was saying, there's no repercussions to your GPA, but you will see a W for that semester on your transcript.
0: Yeah, so this first date we're working with, the last day to drop a class. If you drop a class after that date, you're getting a W, you're you're withdrawing from the class officially. As opposed to if you drop a class before that date, it's like it never existed. Like, yeah, it's just gone. It doesn't show up on your transcript. There's nothing there. The W, I I find, just to sort of echo what you were saying, it's very important for medical schools. Like, one or two, no big deal. More than that, medical schools start to look at you a little bit askance because it is sort of telling them, like, you know, you weren't doing well, you dropped it. And they would rather just have people who were doing well all the time.
1: Granted, there are certain circumstances that you could maybe explain like I had that was a rough semester because of X, Y, Z. Some med schools will give you the opportunity to justify whether you had one W, two W's in, in a semester. But yeah, it's very circumstantial. But when it becomes a habit is when it's becoming a problem, because like you were saying, Multiple W's means you're not doing well most of the time, so.
0: Now, if you have an E in a course, which is ASU's version of an F, and you, you know, I always, before a student withdraws from a class, I always, you know, suggest they go talk to the professor or the TA just to see, like, hey, how how much grading is there left in the course? Like, can I plausibly bring this up to, let's say, a B? And if you can, and you feel like there were extraneous reasons why you just didn't do well in the first exams, but you can fix it then I'm not really going to push you to drop the class. I think you should probably stay in it. That said, if you have an E and that E is not going anywhere, like you just bombed the first exam and and it's, and it's you just know this class is too much for you this semester, you know, take the W. Yep. A W is definitely 100% better than Absolutely. an e. a, defi- a W is definitely 100% better than a D.
1: Yep.
0: Okay, if a student has a C and they want to drop the class after the withdrawal deadline, or after the drop deadline, how do you counsel them usually? What, what sort of questions are you asking them?
1: Well, if it's the withdrawal deadline, that's about, what, a month, halfway through the semester? I would, yeah, I would say about yeah. halfway through. Um, so at that point, you've still got half your tests, half your assignments. So if you're sitting at a C, I would say, A, you should have already been having conversations with your professor to see how you can improve this. B, you should definitely be going to office hours Quite frequently, you should be finding uh, or going to the t- tutoring center and kind of weighing, are you able to pass this course? Are you able to improve on on tests? Um, otherwise, it'd probably be better to withdraw.
0: So you can drop a class and get a W after the drop last it. day to drop a class, which we used to call the drop-add deadline, which we don't anymore. Then there's the course withdrawal deadline. So after the course withdrawal deadline... You cannot withdraw from that course. After the course withdrawal deadline, you, you're you in it. Like, you're getting the grade that you deserve. How do we differentiate that course withdrawal deadline from the complete session withdrawal deadline, which usually happens on, like, the last day of classes? Yeah. So for session C, it'll be the last day of session C classes. For session B, it'll be, like, the last day of session B classes, etc. But difference, Erica, between the course withdrawal deadline and the complete session withdrawal deadline?
1: So, A... Course withdrawal deadline is withdrawing from a single course. Um, granted, maybe that semester you wanted to withdraw from two. When you get to past that date, it now becomes a complete session withdrawal, which means any courses in that session. So let's say you had four sessions in, or four courses in session C you're going to be withdrawn from all four courses in that session C. So let's say you're doing poorly in organic chemistry, so Chem 231 or 233, and you're past the withdrawal deadline. Well, if that's a session C, and you've got three others in session C that you're doing well in, well, you're either got to stay in it and see what grade you get, or withdraw from all four of those courses
0: so normally it, it doesn't make sense it to, to do that normally it makes sense just to take it like a champ whatever grade you're getting in yep. organic chem or whatever and but pass the other classes when does it make sense to do the complete session withdrawal deadline
1: i would say in those circumstances when you're just not doing well in that semester for whatever reason and all of your courses are going poorly
0: yeah sometimes i'll meet with a student like a semester like a week after the semester ends, and I'll see that they got E's in all their yeah. classes, and they'll be meeting with me only a week after the semester ends, and I'll be like, when did you know that you were going to fail all your classes? And they're like, oh, I've known for months. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, you just torpedoed your GPA, and if we had simply had this conversation a week earlier, we could just withdrawn you from every... And again, like a whole semester of withdrawals doesn't look great, but it's much better than a whole semester of ease, which is probably going to put you on academic probation. Yep. Or if you're on academic probation, it's going to expel you from, from ASU. And so this is, again, why you should just keep the lines of communication open with your advisors. And if anything like that is ever happening, keep us in mind because we'll, of course, advise you. Just drop everything. It's it's better not to to junk your GPA like that. The other scenario in which it makes sense to do a complete session withdrawal is if you're taking a session B or session A class and you're only taking one of them. If you're only taking Mm, one session A class or one session B class, effectively... You can, effectively, the withdrawal deadline is the complete session withdrawal deadline. Because when we say complete session withdrawal, it just means you're withdrawing withdrawing from all of your session A classes Mm -hmm. or all your session B classes or all your session C classes. It's not dropping all of your classes for the semester unless they all happen to be in one session. So if you're doing poorly in, like, session B biochemistry, which is, in fact, a very hard course, (laughs) but that's the only session B class you're taking boy, I've got good news for you. You can decide right up until that deadline whether you want that grade to post or not. So that would be another uh, sort of tip and trick for when to use the complete session withdrawal deadline. Um, Okay, so those were the four things that I want every transfer student to know immediately coming in, how to use their academic advisor, how to use their major map in DARS, why it's so important to get to know their professors early on and how to do so, And then finally, how to use that academic calendar. Erica, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Evan.